May God speak to you through today's message from Senior Pastor Mike McGowan. You know, for this series, I have received more texts and more emails and more private messages about what God is doing in people's lives and in their marriages, probably than any other series we've done, uh, maybe ever. Um, in fact, I brought one of the emails that I received, and I have permission to share this with you. This person says this, says, hi, Mike. Um, I really enjoyed your vows series, even though I'm divorced. Everything you've spoken about so far, I can relate to. I know for a fact that if I would have been a park member, my marriage would have been saved. Makes me tear up just typing this. Thanks so much for all you've done for me. See you Sunday, Brenda. You know, for some, this has been a hard series. For others, it's been encouraging. For all of us, it's been challenging. Because anytime we shine the light of God's truth into our lives, it exposes those dark places. Places that we didn't even know were there, or places we've been trying to avoid. But when we allow God to sift through them and deal with them, even though it's hard, in the long run, we're better off. And today, we're going to talk about how do we handle disagreements in a marriage, okay? Because we all have disagreements in marriage. I mean, that's just, it just happens, right? I mean, even Amy and I have disagreements in our marriage, and we're pretty normal, okay? We fight about the same stuff that you fight about, you know, like, Who's going to lead family devotion tonight? We don't fight about that. No, we fight about all the same stuff that you fight about. We fight about money and rearing kids and who emptied the dishwasher last, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? That's what we, we fight. And in fact, I remember one uh, argument we got into, it like started really small and then it escalated to like this huge deal. Like, but I'm sure nobody in this room knows what that's like, right? <clears throat> well, anyway. Um, I, for, I had planned a hunting trip like months and months and months and months and months in advance. Well, it turns out that my son, Ben, his school program ended up being on the last night of that hunting trip. And so Amy looks at me and she's like, are you really choosing hunting over your son's school play? And I was like, no. So we worked out a compromise, and the compromise was that if I shot my trophy uh, before that last hunt, then I would come home early to be here in time for his play. And sure enough, on the last morning of that hunting trip, I ended up shooting my trophy. Guys, by the way, I put a picture of that trophy on my Facebook page, so you can go check that out later if you want to. Anyway, so I shot my trophy on that last day, and so, you know, I packed up all my stuff, you know, got everything ready, and, you know, finally, you know, made my way, you know, back into town. And, I mean, I, I ended up leaving a little bit later than I intended, and I realized that I'm going to miss the start of Ben's play. Now, the kid was four years old, okay? I mean, it's a, it's a re- it ended up being like a really short play, and I ended up actually missing all of it, but I didn't know that, okay? So Amy calls me, and she says, well, where are you? 
I was like, oh, I'm literally less than five minutes away. I'm almost there. I was like, miss anything? She's like, yeah, all of it. She's like, and your parents are wondering where you are. I told them you went hunting. <laughs> and she says, the whole family is going to Marble Slab to celebrate. You're welcome to join us. tried to get back. I made sacrifices to get back. Did I get any credit for any of that? No. Not at all. So anyway, we're all at Marble Slab, and I am just fuming mad, okay? Which, by the way, made for a really relaxing evening for everybody that was there with us. I mean, I'm telling you, just, we had such a great family memory, really. And so, I, you know, when we got home later that night, Amy was like, okay, what is your deal? Like, why are you so upset? So that gave me permission to just launch into my big rant about, you know, all of the sacrifices that I made to get there and all the things that I did and I had to give up and I really worked hard to try to get there. And yes, I was a little bit late, but I didn't really want to be. I tried to get there and I don't appreciate being talked like that on the phone because I don't deserve that kind of talking. Blah, 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 blah. So anyway, she's like, whoa, 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 hold on. When I invited you to come to Marble Slab, it was just because I didn't want you to miss anything else that night. Because Ben really wanted to see you. And he was eager to tell you all about his play. <laughs> I got to tell you, I felt really stupid at that point. I mean, kind of a lot like I do like right now telling you this story. Because I ended up just sulking in the corner because I was so mad. So I missed pretty much all of it. But that's how fights go in a marriage, right? I mean, a lot of times they start out small and they end up escalating to something really big. Or sometimes they just start out big and they just stay big, okay? But regardless of how it starts, a lot of times in a marriage, if we don't handle disagreements the right way, then the scars of what gets said in those heated moments can stay with us for a really, really long time. And if we have a long-term pattern of handling disagreements the wrong way, then that can drive a wedge between a couple and can drive them very far apart. Perhaps even so far so that one of them or both of them don't even want to get back any longer. But today, the Lord is going to show us how to handle disagreements. How to handle arguments in the right way, in a productive way. And listen, here's the deal. If you have scars from the past and how disagreements have been handled, um, the Lord can heal those places in your life. Because learning how to handle disagreements and learning how to forgive, okay, that is part of allowing the Lord to heal those places of hurt in your life. Because look, here's the deal. Arguments are going to happen. They're going to happen. We just need to learn how to handle them God's way so the devil doesn't get his way. And if you're single or you're a student here today, 
You can take most of the principles that we're going to talk about today, and you can apply them in a dating relationship. In fact, I'll say this, if you and the person that you're dating, how you handle disagreements now while you're dating is a great indicator of how you're going to handle them should you get married, okay? Because remember, when you're dating, everybody's putting their best foot forward. And so when you get married, things aren't going to get better, okay? They're just going to escalate, okay? That's just how it works. And so you need to adopt these, princi- these God's principles now, and you need to be looking for someone that handles disagreements the way that God says to handle disagreements, because when you do, you'll have a much healthier marriage, and you will become a much better spouse, and you will experience a lot less pain and hurt if you can handle things God's way. So, if, go ahead and take out your message notes if you haven't done so already. And let's begin by asking the question, what does God ask us to do when we have a disagreement? What does he ask us to do when we have a disagreement? Well, here's the first thing. Number one, I need to remind my spouse we're on the same team. That we're on the same team. Like Amy and I do this a lot. You know, when you know, one or both of us get a little bit riled up, you know, starts to raise our voice, the other one typically jumps in and says, whoa, 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 hey, we're on the same team here. And that prevents the little things usually from growing to be like these big things. It, it, it keeps the small things small and keeps us from getting so emotionally charged up that we end up saying things that we would later on regret, okay? And this whole idea of us being on the same, I'm like, that didn't originate with us. I mean, we didn't come up with that. The idea of a couple being on the same team actually has its origins in the exchange of wedding rings at a ceremony. In fact, the wedding rings, wedding rings are a symbol of two very important things. And these are bullet points, okay? Here's the first. It's symbolic of this, that I'm in a covenant relationship. And this is both a warning and a reminder, okay? Remember in the, in the first message of this series that we talked about how marriage is a covenant and it's not a contract? Well, in the days of the New Testament, when two parties, particularly two kings, would enter into a covenant, most of the, t- most of the time what they would do is they would exchange rings as a sign of that covenant. And what that meant was, is that ring was now a sign to everybody in the world that I am in a covenant relationship. And if you attack me, you're not just attacking me, you're also attacking the person that I am in covenant with, and that person will come to my rescue and fight for me. And so, Eventually, that tradition found its way into marriages, into the marriage ceremony. So a a husband and wife would exchange rings as a sign that they were in a covenant relationship, as a sign to the rest of the world saying, hey, I'm in a covenant with someone else, and if you attack me, you're not just attacking me, you're also attacking the person that I'm in a covenant with. Because that person will come to my rescue and fight for me. That's what it means. See, 
It's a reminder, the wedding ring is a reminder that you and your spouse are on the same team. And that whole idea in marriage is built on the fact that you and your husband are on the same team. Look what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 19. This is Jesus talking. We've read this scripture multiple times during this series. Look what it says. Matthew 19, 4 and 5. Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. I want you to underline that phrase. Joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Underline that. Two are united into one. So look, here's the deal. Once you get married, the Lord views the two of you as on the same team. And your wedding rings are a symbol that tells everyone else that you are in a covenant relationship with someone else. And more than that, it is a reminder to you that you are on the same team with your spouse. And that's critical. Because you are on the same team. Now, your rings are symbolic of a second thing. This is your second bullet point. It's symbolic of the fact that God is on my team. God is on my team. Have you ever wondered why we wear a wedding ring on the fourth finger? Have you ever wondered where that tradition came from? Well, we don't know the exact date of the origin, but we do know that at some point in time in the history of the early church, when a priest would marry a couple, he would take the wedding ring and he would say, in the name of the Father, and he would touch the thumb with the wedding ring, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, I thee wed, and would place the ring on the fourth finger. That's where that tradition comes from. And it's a symbol that's saying, that says that God is an integral part of your covenant relationship. Your covenant is not just between you and your spouse, it's between God and your spouse. And God will fight for your marriage just like you should. That's where that tradition comes from, and that's what it means. Look what the Bible says in Matthew 19.6, how Jesus finishes his, his thought here. He says, since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Underline that phrase, what God has joined together. Look what the Bible says in Matthew 18.22. It says, the man who finds a wife finds a good thing. She is a blessing to him from the Lord. So when you look at your ring, remember that you're in a covenant relationship with your spouse. So look, does it make any sense that you would spend all your energy fighting with your spouse and not fighting for your spouse? And, and yes, I mean, I know, sometimes your spouse is charging nuts, and you don't always see eye. But look, there's nothing in the Bible that says that the two of you have to agree on everything. That's just not there. Look, and marriage is hard enough on its own. You certainly don't need to spend your time tearing it down from within. That's not what it's supposed to be. 
So if things start to get a little intense, just remind your spouse, hey, we're on the same team here. Remind them you're on the same team. And remember, God is on your team. He wants your marriage to work out. He wants your marriage to be successful. He wants your marriage to be rewarding and exciting and fulfilling and happy. He wants all those things for marriage, just like you do. So remind your spouse that you're on the same team and remind yourself that God is on your team. See, all of that is part of the wedding ring. Okay, number two, God says this. I need to stop and listen thoroughly. I need to stop to listen thoroughly. Look what the Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 19. It says, remember this, my dear brothers and sisters, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. Look, here's the deal. When you're in an argument or you're bickering or having a disagreement, listen, before you start in on all those reasons why you're right and they're wrong, okay, before you, look, I mean, I think about that night when I was at Marble Slab. <laughs> I mean, I would have not created such an, if I just listened to Amy, I would not have created like such this awkwardly weird family moment with everybody there. I would have been a much better dad to Ben, and I would have created a whole lot less tension with Amy. But all of that happened because I didn't listen thoroughly. Look what the Bible says in Proverbs 18 too. Check out this verse. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding but only in airing an opinion. Okay, l- let's just be honest. If you took just this one verse and you decided that you were gonna live by this one verse, how many arguments would that save you in your lifetime? Like 25% of all your arguments, 50%, 75%? I can honestly say, it would save me at least 50% of every disagreement I ever find myself in. And that's not just with Amy. I mean, that's with my kids. That's with the staff. That's pretty much everybody I know. (laughs) And while we're talking about things that we should not say, okay, let me give you a few things that you should always avoid. Okay, these are your bullets. Here we go. The first is this. Never call names. Never call names. Because that takes the argument from being about the issue to now making it personal. Next, never raise your voice. When you raise your voice, you stop communicating, okay? You're just yelling, but nobody's really hearing you. You know, your spouse or your kids, they're just trying to get out of the room, or they're trying to say whatever it's gonna take to end the argument and end the yelling, but they're not listening to you because you're just yelling, and they're trying to just end it. So don't do that. Next, never bring up the past. Never bring up the past. Look, once it's forgiven, it's forgiven. Now, if you've actually not forgiven your spouse, then that's what you need to go work on. Next, never say never or always. 
okay? But I, here's the deal, as soon as you do, your spouse stops looking for a solution to whatever the fight's about, and they start looking for, you know, exceptions to how what you said is just simply not true, okay? And I know that because, like, that's what I do, okay? Here's the next one. Never threaten divorce. Never threaten divorce. Because here's the deal, that introduces a whole new level of insecurity in your marriage. Don't ever, ever use that word as a threat. God only permits divorce in the case of adultery. But even then, God wants you to try to work it out if you can. Okay? Here's this one. Never quote your pastor during a fight. Okay? Don't ever do that. All right? Leave me out of it, okay? Oh, no, but Pastor Mike said that you're supposed to. No, 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 That's not going to go well for you or for me. I'm at home watching old videos of Ben's program, okay? Don't bring me into your fight, all right? All right, number three. Here's the big, big number three. Here it is. Last thing I need to do is this. I need to soften my startup. Soften my startup. You know, research shows that how you start a fight is usually how the fight will end. So if you start by yelling, you will probably end it with yelling. If you start it with sarcasm, it will probably end with sarcasm. If you start it with blaming, it will probably end with blaming. But the flip side is also true. If you will start with a calm, normal voice, even if it escalates in the middle, most of the time it will end with the two of you talking in a calm and normal voice. So one of the keys to being less destructive in handling a disagreement is to soften your startup. And when you know it, the Bible has been saying this for centuries, just using different words. Look what it says. James 1.19 says this, says, remember this, my dear brothers and sisters, everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak, and should not get angry easily. Proverbs 30, 33 says, For as churning the milk produces butter, and as twisting the nose produces blood, so stirring up anger produces strife. Proverbs 15, 1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So soften your startup. Don't lead with accusations or blaming or screaming or sarcasm or yelling or name calling or raise voice or any of that kind of stuff. I mean, think, think about how you want the conversation to end and then start the conversation that way, all right? Now look, I'm not saying, you know, like start with a joke or a haiku or anything silly like that, okay? But what I am saying is, think about how you want this thing to end, and however you want it to end, start that way. Start that way, because that's probably how it's going to go down. Because the goal is to find resolution, right? It's not to just prove that you're right and try to get the other person to admit that you are. Okay, that ain't going to happen, right? Because at that point, you're just churning the butter. I mean, you're just producing strife. You're quick to speak and slow to listen. But the Bible says do the opposite. It says be quick to listen and slow to speak. 
Because a soft answer turns away wrath. Now, the truth is that some of you have had such a long history of so many harsh startups that you need to go see a Christian counselor to get some healing before you can really apply this. And so if that's you, then go see a Christian counselor. Do that. Now, I want everybody in the room right now, I want you to look at your wedding ring. I want everybody to look at your wedding ring. Now, if you're single or you're a student, I want you to look at where a a wedding ring, hopefully one day, will be. And I want everyone to be thinking about when you exchange vows before God and when you say, with this ring, I thee wed, okay? Because that's not just an exchange of jewelry. That is you entering into a covenant with your spouse and with God. That is why the ring is on your fourth finger because it's for the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then, the two, then you. And look, God was present when you took your vows. And he will be present in your life to help you keep them. If you will follow his guidelines for maintaining your vows. So I want everyone, find your connection card and look on the back and let's take some next steps together. Maybe it's this first one. I will remind my spouse and myself that we are on the same team before things escalate. And by the way, if you're single, you could take these next steps as a commitment for what you will do when you get married, okay? I know that you're not, but think about when you will be. Think about the kind of person you want to be. Next, when I look at my wedding ring, I'll remember that my covenant is not just with my spouse, but also with my heavenly father. Would you remember that? It's key. Next, I commit to listen to what my spouse is saying and not justify myself. That's a huge next step. This one. I will never, ever, ever threaten divorce in a fight. I hope everyone takes that next step. Next. I commit to soften my startup because how I start is likely how it will end. So true. Next, email me a list of Christian counselors that I can contact for more help. Check that box, then Monday or Tuesday this week, we'll email you that list and then you can contact them. Or this last one. I will pray the prayer to become a Christ follower today for the first time in my life. Because look, here's the deal. If, if, if you are not a Christ follower, then trying to behave like one in your marriage is going to be impossible. You have to actually become a Christ follower first. There's a sample prayer for how to become a Christ follower right below your next steps. If you've never prayed that prayer before, if you've never asked Jesus to forgive you for everything you've ever done and then pledge your life to following him, you're not a Christ follower yet, but you can be. I'm going to give you a chance to pray that prayer right now, but make sure you check that box because we want to mail you some free stuff in the mail. In fact, I'm going to give everybody right now a chance to pray. And I want you to look at your next steps, and whatever next steps you've taken, I want you to ask God to help you follow through and use them to change your future. And if you're ready to pray that prayer, 
then I want you to pray it right now. So I want right now, everybody bow your heads, and I want you to take these few, next few moments and pray to God. want to say thank you <clears throat> for every marriage that's represented in this room, every future marriage that's represented in this room. And I'm asking you in Jesus' name that you would help all of us to follow through with our commitments. Lord, that you would help all of us realize that we're on the same team, not just with each other, but also with you. That you would help us to listen to one another thoroughly before we just, just escalate an argument. And Father, that you would also help us to avoid those harsh startups and start up softly because our goal is to find resolution and reunion with each other, not to pick a fight. And so I pray in Jesus' name that you would help all of us to follow you more closely and bring us all back safely next week so we can hear more. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com or facebook.com slash parkwayfellowship. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more. It is available both in the Apple App Store and Android's Google Play.